Okay. Today, our topic is prayer. This is a uh, discipleship class, which sometimes that, that verbiage sounds kind of interesting, kind of like we're going to class to find out how to be a Christian, uh, when you're like, isn't that what we're all doing here anyway? Um, so I want to start out class with a story. Our youngest grandchild that lives in town, her name's Lucy. Lucy's a chili pepper. Um, so about three months ago, we were eating at a restaurant, and she was sitting across from me, and she said, you know, Gigi, we, somehow it came up about loving Jesus, and she said, you know, Gigi, I think uh, grandparents love Jesus more than parents do. And I said, really? <laughs> well, that's interesting, Lucy. Um, she goes, yeah, and I actually think you and Papa love Jesus more than Mimi and Grandpa. That's her other grandparents. I said, well, first of all, you go to church with us. But Mimi and Grandpa love Jesus very much. I know that to be true. And she said, oh, I know they do. Actually, I think Papa loves Jesus more than you. <laughs> but, well, I guess I set her up for that, right? <laughs> and I said, oh, really? Now, so why do you think Papa loves Jesus the most? And she said, because on the porch and in his office, he has Bibles and books about God everywhere. Which I thought was a really sweet observation in that her Papa does love Jesus. But I'm telling you that story because sometimes I think um, the thing I, I think that I, me and Mike and Carrie and Lincoln uh, and William would all want you to know is the reason we're talking about these things is because there is a difference between being a believer and being a disciple. There's a difference. There are a lot of people who believe. And there are a lot of people who come to this church who believe. And I've had times in my life when I felt like maybe all I did was believe, but I wasn't quite a disciple. A disciple is a follower of a teacher, right? A follower of a leader. Someone who has bought all in. Someone who believes it with every part of their being. It's not something they do, it's who they are. So the elements of this class are the things that we're talking about. While they seem simplistic, sometimes you go back to the simple things to figure out where did I get off track or where have I missed something. So while we come together and we talk about these things that seem somewhat elementary, like today, we're going 30 minutes, we're going to talk about everything you need to know about prayer, right? I mean, we know that's ridiculous. But to have the conversation because it's so essential to the life of a disciple, it makes sense. And that's why we're here. Uh, and today that's what we're going to talk about. Now, I will tell you this. Um, for me personally, I have felt a shifting in my life concerning prayer, interestingly, in my 60s. I'm a late bloomer, I guess. I wouldn't say that my prayer life was empty or not effective are not important, are not good my whole life. Um, because I'm one of those people who, you know, my parents took me when I was two weeks old because that was the official time when I was a little kid. You didn't stay home for months. It was like, well, wrap her up and here we go. 
And I've not been someone in my life that's gone off somewhere far away for a period of time. It's pretty much been the essence of my life. But I have felt a shifting recently. So I hope you take that as an encouragement, not a discouragement, like, oh my word, that's that's ridiculous versus, you know what, it is an always evolving, growing understanding, right? So uh, that's really the, as the where I'm coming from. Let me just say that in this conversation. So here's the thing today. Here's our definition from our series or the core truth that we're wanting to talk about. What is prayer and how can a disciple pray effectively? Prayer is transparent dialogue. It's a conversation with God in which we address him and in quiet are addressed by him. Um, Truthfully, over my 50 years of praying, I did a whole lot more talking than listening. I felt like I filled the time more with talking than listening. I don't know that I knew how to listen. I don't know if I thought, okay, I'm listening, but is that just my head? And that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning is kind of the balance between talking to God and listening to God and what that looks like in prayer. I'm going to, one thing I like about this definition is the term a transparent dialogue. It's an intimate conversation with the creator of the universe and the redeemer of our lives who is wild about spending time with us. Let me read you a quote from Richard Foster who wrote a book called Celebration of Disciplines who I don't know. Many of you probably have read it, but in that chapter about prayer, he says this, the Lord is inviting you and me to come home, to come home to where we belong, to come home to that for which we were created. His arms are stretched wide to receive us. His heart is enlarged to take us in. For too long, we've been in the far country, a country of noise and hurry and crowds, a country of climb and push and shove, a country of frustration and fear and intimidation, and he welcomes us home, home to serenity and peace and joy, home to friendship and fellowship and openness, home to intimacy, acceptance, and affirmation. So when I read you that definition, and I say his arms are open wide to receive us, do you see these arms? Or do you see these arms? And do you see the difference? Well, of course, you see the difference. But there are a lot of us, when we hear and we're told that the Lord wants to receive you, well, His arms are open wide. But that's very different than this. Okay, so it looks like we've put you here because we're going to go, we've got spirit, yes we do, how about you? We're going to do this back and forth, but that's not what this is about. This is for us to have conversation about some of these things because uh, those of us who teach in here, we believe there is such a depth of experience and maturity and knowledge here that we can share with each other. So tell me, not, not necessarily for you to confess that one of these is you or the other, but when you 
hear that concept of the Lord's arms are open wide, and you put that in the context of your thinking about your prayer life, what comes to mind? Well, I'm going to rest. <coughs> I have to say this. My father was an Abraham Lincoln presenter, so I don't see the difference there. <laughs> <laughs> Your father? Yeah, my, my, my father looked uh-huh. like that guy. Yeah. And so those pictures look the same to me. Okay. Does this feel <coughs> inviting? It, it, it's the two pictures together feel complete. Okay. But I, I, I understand that's not going to be anybody else's experience in here, but okay. I have to say it, it to get it out of my chest. It <laughs> might be, no. I thought about your dad when I saw him. <laughs> 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 there you go, validation. I, 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 I knew I wouldn't be the only person in here that thought no. of him when they saw that. No, did you have a thought like that? I don't have a... To me, that they make a complete picture, and I didn't know you. <laughs> I don't know an Abraham Lincoln presenter, but uh-huh. to me, that's a complete picture. Yeah, uh, a safe place and a loving place. I mean, those pictures go together. Okay. Great thoughts. I love that the second picture of the one on the right is not just his arms open, but they're wrapped around. Uh huh. There's a there's a connection, a closeness there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. that's a, an indication, I guess, of how that feels. She so pretty content, are he? Uh-huh. Yep. I think it really speaks <clears throat> for the relationship. I know when I when I can pick up my little two year old grandson <clears throat> and he tucks his head up on my shoulder, mm-hmm. boy that I'm, I'm sure he's seeking comfort, but man, that's that does it for me too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it says a little extra something about the relationship. Yes, and I think that's what the quote was saying—that it is—it is based on relationship, not um, kind of this static sort of uh, rote conversation it's it's a relationship and that's what I was saying for me I think I was lopsided with a lot of talking certainly believing I was being heard and feeling like I was having um, conversation but I think for me I I was I think there's a middle lane and it feels like there's a cerebral side over here that's for me was based a lot in Bible knowledge in knowing about God, good things about God. And then over here, there was kind of this um, woohoo crazy town that I didn't want to go too far over there. It felt like it needed to have some structure or some um, objective data, for lack of a better word. (laughs) So to pull them together now feels more... Uh, relational. Is that is anybody with me here? Is that making sense? I think I was I was leaning this way, perhaps because I feared this. And the Lord said, "You know what? We can we can meet in the middle here. There's a place where you can feel this sense of spirituality of things that cannot be explained and a knowing that you can have through the Spirit. But it also aligns with Scripture and the things that you know to be true about God from the things." you've read or you've studied or you've been told or you've interacted with other people about. 
Um, before we go any further, though, I do want to say this. There are a lot of things, and y'all knew this was coming, so I'm going to go ahead and get it over with, but there are a lot of things in our lives that keep us from hearing the voice of God. It is static that has been created by Satan, the enemy, because he does not want you to hear it. It can be wounds from your childhood or from other people. It can be life circumstances that have confused you or gotten you off track in your relationship with God. It can be being entangled in some kind of a sin that you continue to wrestle with and you think, I'm not worthy. He's not going to listen to me. I keep falling back into the same pit. It could be shame. There are a lot of things. Um, but those of us who uh, participate and function in freedom prayer can tell you the Lord wants to find those places and heal them. He wants to replace every lie you believe about Him and about yourself. He wants to replace it with truth. Because as soon as you can defeat... He's already defeated Satan. As soon as you can acknowledge that and bring those things to the surface and get them out of the way, boy, you can really hear so much clearer the voice of the Lord. Scott, did you have something? I was just going to say, when we're thinking about relationship, <clears throat> so often it's from our point of view, like is, is my heart right and my approach? Mm -hmm. And, and subtly, there's this, um, I think approachability is what I see in these pictures. Okay. Um, if you feel like you're going before a judge, or if you're feeling like God is perfect, um, I know all of my faults. I know the ways that I have let him down and others mm -hmm. down. The focus is on me and not on, uh, on him. Allowing yourself to receive the loving embrace from the Father, believing that that's what he wants, um, is a hurdle for some people. That's exactly and it, right. And it's all just like, you know, I didn't need to say it because you, you said Because we're so on the same page here with just those things that keep us from hearing. Um, I'll tell you what mine was. My thing in the back of my head was that I disappointed God. And it, you know, it came from way back when, and who knows why. And up here, I knew intellectually that was silly. Sunday school, Jeannie, her brain knew that's not true. But somewhere in my heart, I had tucked in a little piece of infection that said, you know, when you really work hard to do well or to love on people and things don't go right, God's like, come on now, you can do better. And part of that's my personality. And part of that's, there's a lot of reasons why, but the Lord spoke truth into that. Actually, the Lord laughed at me in my freedom prayer, not at me, but he goes, now come on, that is just silly. And I believed him. And it changed my thinking. And those kinds of encounters with the Lord where he pulls up things and you're like, wow, that's a surprise. I didn't realize I was hauling that around. And the enemy's defeated. We're going to look at, you know, who better to ask how to pray but Jesus, right? We figure he probably knows since he did it a lot. And he also taught his disciples. Let's go to Luke 11. This is very familiar to all of you, I'm sure. I'm going to read Luke 11, 1 through 13. One day... Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. 
So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine is on a journey, and has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread, because he is his friend, Yet, because of the man's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? First of all, I did not know until a few years ago, or I've not put into context, this whole section is what Jesus answered when He said, teach us to pray. The second thing I did not put together until a few years ago was that business about the egg and the scorpion and all of that had to do with the Holy Spirit. That's the punchline there, right? So what good father is not going to give you the Holy Spirit, which is still in this context of prayer. And so I think this whole passage is so chock full, and like I said, we're certainly not going to solve it in 30 minutes. But there are some elements here of what Jesus said when he, they said, teach us to pray, that are important. Now, I know all of us have heard the acronym ACTS, right? For praying, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Nobody's heard, you haven't heard that before? Well, there you go. Well, we're going to do it today, but I'm rearranging it so it doesn't spell anything. Sorry. Um, but the first thing that Jesus does here is adoration. <coughs> Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Praising God for who he is, for what he has done. His majesty, his power, grace, and redemption. Praise is the sweet echo of His own excellence in the hearts of His people. You know, sometimes I think praise and adoration, um, it's like what Scott was saying a minute ago, we're putting God in the context of reminding ourselves, not that He needs to be reminded, but we're reminding ourselves of who He is and what position we do find ourselves at the at this relationship with the creator of the universe and the one who has redeemed us. And the list goes on and on and on. But it's a matter of adjusting and placing my heart in the right place to appreciate and remember and know who he is. Also, this concept of my kingdom, your kingdom come. I think there's an important element here of an acknowledgement of God's kingdom work 
is taking place, I'm joining it, right? I'm, I'm not the, the uh, rise and fall of the kingdom. Kingdom work's taking place. I'm just saying, what's going on, Lord, and where can I join into this? It's your kingdom come. Let's talk about this just a minute. Praise and adoration at the beginning of prayer or as a part of prayer, is it something that you're like, yes, that's the main thing I do all the time? Or how do you, in what context, or how do you find that for yourself? I think it's very hard to have a conversation with God and follow, follow the ACTS perspective because mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're chasing back and forth between adoration and supplication and thanksgiving and, and all of those things. And so I think you, I think it's important to, for those to be there to kind of help you <coughs> tell whether or not you're covering all the bases in terms of uh, what you need to talk to God about mm -hmm. and listen to God. But, I have a lot of trouble just going through them. You know. And I would agree with that. Yeah, Carolyn. I think in the past it's been very easy for me to just launch into asking what I want, you know, yes. or help this, or do this, the supplication and the, you know, beseeching. And um, the verse that says, be still and know that I am God, that is just so crucial for me to just get that stuff out of my head first and just be still and realize whose presence you're in and think about who he is and this you know I, I think that is important to do first it's so easy for our human little daddy i want this uh -huh. <clears throat> yes and i'm with you it's easy to kind of say yeah yeah and kind of go right to the meat of it yes yes it seems to me personally that praise kind of is tied to supplication and creator of the universe. Adoration is is another step to fill your heart and you want to praise Him for that. Yes. Yes. I don't know how many of you uh, went to first service. Um, but it's about lament and it's the Psalms and how often the Psalms start with kind of a, a declaration of who God is and knowing who He is. Um, and it's kind of like what you said about that, that kind of holy, um, majestic, you know, that there is a sense of that with um, appreciation of who He is and uh, just the awesomeness of him and yet he wants to hear from me so there's a little sweetness in that praise right it's 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 praise and gratitude all mixed in together um the second thing that jesus and we're going with you know jesus pattern here the second thing is thanksgiving give us this day our daily bread the discipline of remembering remembering the things that he does for us on a daily business Honing our memory for every good thing that comes from God, big and little. Ephesians 5.20 says it's a sign of being filled with the Spirit. Being full of thanksgiving and gratitude. 
Um, one thing that um, over time, I think when you go through difficult times, sometimes it's a thanksgiving for an ordinary day. Thank you, Lord, that today is not as heavy as some I've had lately. So let's talk about gratitude. You know, I think gratitude and thanksgiving is something in a worldly environment. You know, Oprah talks about gratitude and everybody talks about gratitude. I think we all know psychologically it's a good thing to have gratitude and be grateful, right? But what would be a little different about this than that kind of generic gratitude thing? It seems like it's more about sustenance and being able to go and sit and take care of your brand, you know, being able to live, and, uh, which is greater than thank you for all the nice things I Thank you for all these things. Yeah. And an acknowledgement of from where it came. Um, yes, Carolyn. Um, I think this came from that book called Jesus Calling. But it was kind of a breakthrough for me. Uh, a couple of years ago, I read a part that the verse that says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, make your request with thanksgiving, make your request mm -hmm. known to God. And I had never been able to really reconcile those two things, but in in that little passage, that, that daily devotional thing, um, she suggested <clears throat> that when you are tempted to be anxious about something, you have concerns, you have something going on, think about how God is already involved in that, how he already knows about it, and so thank him that he is already working in that situation. That's a great way to look at I, it. I love that. That helped me so much mm -hmm. overcome a lot of anxiety. Because it taught me how to pray a little bit differently about it. I'm feeling this, but I know you're already involved. I know you're already working out. Thank you that you know what the solution is. You're not waiting for him to show up. You're right. acknowledging he already has. That's great. That's really good. Um, okay, now we're about to get to the loaded part of this prayer. Because we can be, we do the praise and the adoration, but then he says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. That's pretty easy, I would say. <laughs> so, I mean, this is confession. This is acknowledgement of the things where we got off track. We're looking at when we look at the holiness of God in praise, it is clear how far from perfect we are. But this prayer is saying, let me see me as you see me. Well, that's a big ask, isn't it? I, I am saying, forgive my sin in the same way that I'm forgiving other people. Okay, I usually do pretty good with forgive my sin because that, as I forgive other people, piece of it is a little tricky, right? 
That's difficult. So let's talk about this. Do you think it's a... Um, when we come to God, is this kind of a blanket? Um, Lord, today if I did or said anything, please forgive me of those things. Those sins of omission and commission, please forgive me of those things today. Anybody hear a little Sunday school coming out there? That means you're not really acknowledging it. No. That's kind of like I'm asking for the magic wand blanket statement. But what is there? There's a, there's a, a caveat here, right? It's my sense of knowing what God has forgiven me is typically what gives me the perspective and the um, motivation to turn around and forgive somebody else. Because I'm thinking, you know the parable of the king and he forgave $100,000 and the guy went out and beat up the guy that owed him five? And that's this exact same principle. The Lord has forgiven me $100,000 and I'm saying to the Lord, show me, first of all, where I've needed forgiveness, but show me where I need to forgive. And that is really a big conversation. And it also goes back to my comment earlier about if I'm doing all the talking and I'm not listening, there are times when the Lord has shown me things in my prayer time where I thought, wow, that surprises me. That's not what I thought was going on in my heart about forgiveness. It sounds like there's just a little bit of a condition in here. It's like, you know what? Your ability to forgive others and get past those things is connected to my forgiveness of you. Yes, this is complete, but you're missing the essence of abundant life that comes from making the whole circle. That's what I think he's saying in here. I think it's hard to connect up our forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of us in a way because uh, we know how hard it is to forgive others. But that hardness, that hardness for God, I guess is best seen in the sun, in the sun dying on the cross, but, but uh, maybe that's the way, that's the way you understand the difficulty for Him forgiving us of our sins just like it's difficult for us to forgive others. It, it has to be, uh, in a way, it has to be uh, those sins that are so egregious to us, like the sins of mankind that were so egregious to God that cost Him His Son. They have to, you have to kind of put it in that kind of context to get the real meaning of what, of what He's trying to say there. I think you're right that this is huge. It's one of life's imponderables. Um, but I think when we get down to the granularity of it, it's that specific conversation with the Lord saying, you know what, today when I lost my temper, that was not from you. Uh, forgive me for that. Forgive me for the unkind way I treated so-and-so today. Um, Fill me with your spirit to know how, what should I, what could I have done better? 
I mean, those are the, that's the conversation or the rhythm of this conversation. Because once again, he's a loving father, but he also disciplines us, right? None of us want our children to run willy-nilly. I mean, we discipline them to teach them, and that's what I hear in this. Now, let me ask a question. How do you weigh, there's an important distinction when you go before the Father and you confess and you ask for Him to show you the flaws or the struggles or the things that you've struggled with, but there's a distinction from an accusation from Satan and a loving Father helping you work through a sin problem. You see the difference between the two? There's a huge difference because a lot of times Satan brings accusation. God brings conviction. There's a difference. What would be the difference? What do you think? If it's an accusation from Satan, what does it include? You're not who you thought you were. No. It is is shame. It is, look, here you go. You fell again, Charlie. Um, Well, I tend to think of... um, prayer walk and I know it's different from everybody so um, what, That's I may, great. what I may be saying may be totally we fun. won't kick you out <laughs> um, but I feel like you know being honest with your struggles just as much as being honest with what you feel of how certain parts of prayer may not be comfortable for you God's going to reward you Yes. for that yes so basically, if you're honest with every part of your struggle, with every part of what prayer or whatever thing you feel uncomfortable with sharing with him, besides the fact he already knows that, That's right. <laughs> um, it, I think it just creates a more trustworthiness pattern that you have with God in the end of you because you were willing to share that. Because he's a good father, right? So when you come to him in honesty, even when you've really messed up, they're like trustworthy. I like that word. It creates this conversation of him convicting and restoring. That's the purpose of it. Satan's accusation and his putting you down is to defeat you and to keep you from growing. Scott? I'm a big picture person a lot of the time, and I think sometimes we internalize so much and we're thinking about, like, this is for me, this is for me, this is for me. The agency part of this for me, how God is working through his people for us to be ministers of reconciliation and to be people who speak forgiveness and grace into the lives of other people, outside of the church, there is not a lot of that. It's one and done, and I'm never going to trust you again. How could you fail in such a dramatic way? Um, I think it helps as an individual who receives grace and forgiveness from someone else to believe that maybe God could embrace me. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a part of it too. And I think when we are struggling with the forgiving, how do I forgive others? If we can hold on to that bigger peace, that that's a part of the fragrance of Christ that we'll be taking to the world. That's awesome. Because it is. And you know what? People who believe they're forgiven and believe that in the restoration of life with Christ and that abundant life, to be able to administer these things to others, you're like, you know what? My source is here. It's not in your response to me. And so I am energized and fed and benefited by this rhythm here 
to in turn do that. And the response of the people, you know, you hope it's positive, maybe it isn't, but you're right. There's a, there's a bigger kind of um, picture. <laughs> Can't come up with a better word. That's great. Um, I think we all understand the difference between this accusation and this conviction. Have you ever been in a grocery store or somewhere where you've watched a mom shame and humiliate a child who did something they shouldn't do? And don't you want to just kind of swoop up that child and kind of remove them from that kind of um, kind of a barrage of negativity about their worth and embarrassment and you know all of those things? That's what Satan does. The Lord says, okay, you know what? Shouldn't have done that. Here's some consequences often in our lives that come our way because we've done these things. But the goal is restoration. And the goal is growth. And the goal is maturity. And then the last thing that Jesus talks about here is, and the last whole section there, is talking about supplication. I think they used the word supplication so they could do the word acts. But really it is when you go before the Lord and you ask Him. There are two kinds. One is intercession for someone else. I mean, intercession for others and a petition for yourself. There's two different things there. Sometimes you're going because you're bringing someone else before the Lord. Does He know it? Yes. But yet, there's a lot of Scripture that talks about other people praying Even in Revelation, it talks about the fragrance of the prayers of the saints. As they go up, it's a community thing. It's a thing when we all pray for each other and with each other. You know, one thing that's important, and if we had time, I would love for us to do this, but if you go to Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, and Colossians 1, there are some famous prayers that Paul prayed for the people in Ephesus and Colossae, and there's big sections there. If we went and we were to look through that, What's included in those lists? What sorts of things does he pray for the people in those churches? You'll find it interesting because he doesn't pray for them all to have big fancy houses and he doesn't pray for... What he's praying for is for them to feel that God is sufficient, that they would have the knowledge of God's will, that that knowledge would fill their lives and motivate them, that they would feel surrounded and inundated and not doubt the love of God. What a wonderful thing for us to pray for each other, for that kind of shoring up. Yes, we pray for specific events and things that are happening in people's (laughs) lives. And we've all been in the place where it means a lot to know there are people praying for you. But when they're praying for that specific event, You also, we want to pray for those things that shore us up spiritually, that we may know that God is in the middle of this, that we may see God's loving provision, that we will believe that He will never leave us. The list goes on and on and on. But there is certainly a time for not only petition for ourselves, but intercession for others. So let's talk about this. Where has that been a benefit either to you or to someone else where you know that people praying for others not just something wrote but something where it really did make a difference or made you feel like it made a difference to you
And it can be about somebody else, too, for that matter. When I went through Marine Corps boot camp, that was pretty tough. And I remember Otter Creek prayed for me. I got lots of letters. Um, that was very, I even got to use that when I was there to show other recruits that didn't come from a similar um, life that I came from, mm -hmm. that there is someone greater than them that watches over me. That's awesome. So you felt both the strength of God from that and the strength of community from that. Yes. Jeannie, several years ago, my sister-in-law had cancer. And uh, she developed a group of people she called her prayer warriors. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were sold out on praying praying the cancer out of her body. And I remember uh, I did that one day. I, I went out to a park in Northern Virginia and spent the entire day in that park praying. And you know, we have all these things that we can, when something like that happens, you know that other people are praying too. And it turns out that person's healed and we explain it away all kinds of other stuff but I don't ever and she doesn't to this day explain it away mm -hmm. she was she was saved from uh, not making it through another year or so by, by those prayers I think um, yes I have grown in my relationship with God to recognize that when I pray is the giving up of myself, disarming myself, recognizing, be still in, in, in terms of who God is, and recognizing that I'm recognizing He is in control. He is the one that I'm going to, to help take care of this, that as much as I want to do it, as much as I want to be in control of it, I have to sit back and say, you know what, God, you're in control. I'm stepping back and saying, you're number one. Help me through this or help somebody else through that because only you can do it. And, and, and whatever becomes of me, we're living a life that gives him the glory because he's in charge. So here's my petition. Here's my intercession. I know you're in charge. Take care of it. And, uh, and I think a lot of us I grew up learning how to pray, mm -hmm. but I developed a prayer. They said, Greg, would you pray for this? And it was like, it's the same prayer I say all the time. And it needs to be more personal. It needs to recognize he's in control. Sure, and that's a great point because it kind of puts it all in context. Um, one last thing that has been, for me, uh, has been different in these last few years and some of you uh, probably do this as well, but has been uh, starting prayer, asking the Lord, you know, I want to draw near. And my imagination will often take me to a scene or a place. And that scene or place helps me feel that relational connection. That's where I thought, okay, I'm kind of getting over here in that one. But then I thought, wait a minute, 
uh, if he's the creator and he created me with my imagination and he created me with my emotions and he can use anything he wants to communicate with me, right? In fact, he's probably saying there might be some richness and fullness here that you're missing when I've given you all of this way to connect with me. So, you know, and I'll have the same connection place for quite some time. And then all of a sudden it'll change. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess we're going somewhere new. And so there's something about being able to visualize. This is for me, visualize myself in a place of interaction with the Lord that has really added a richness to it. So there you go. You run out to the way I'm a holy roller. That's all right. Uh, but anyway, thanks for your comments. Y'all have a great week. Next week is going to be the three-person God. Oh, I'm not, I'm not teaching that one. <laughs>